0: Good morning. I can remember as a young man hearing a story about a bear that lived in a train car with an old German circus. Now, these circuses were very popular 100 years ago, where a circus would roll in on the rails, and all of the animals were confined to a car that couldn't be more than 30 feet Feet wide. And in this circus there was this bear, and this bear lived its whole life inside a rail car. And the existence that this bear had consisted of it walking maybe 15 feet this way, turn around, come back, work, walk the rest of the way, turn around, come back. And this continued for many, many years. Until at one point the circus was sold, and the animals were given over to a local zoo. And at that point, the bear was given the opportunity to live in an enclosure which was extremely larger than it had lived in its whole life. But sadly, till the day that bear died, all it could do in this large enclosure was walk about 15 feet this way and all the way back. You see, that really describes us. We have been given the freedom in Jesus Christ to accomplish and experience amazing things. And yet, unless we avail ourselves of that freedom, we might as well be walking like that bear, back and forth, even though we have all of the freedom in Christ, we'll only ever experience the freedom when we make ourselves available to him. Lord Heavenly Father, as we speak about freedom today, Freedom in you. We desire to experience the freedom that can only come when we surrender our lives, when we surrender it all to you. Lord, so many of us are walking around in a self-imposed exile or self-imposed cage that we've built for ourselves where we never really walk outside of the boundaries of our own issues. Instead, Lord, help us that we might be set free. We know that as we give our hearts to you, you set us free. May we do that, Lord, with your help and with your anointing and with your blessing. May you do that through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a sad story, but the truth of the matter is so many of us are walking around in a cage. King Agrippa was very much the same way. We talked a lot about him last week. A very wicked man lived a very wicked life. But now we see that Paul has the opportunity to preach the gospel to not only King Agrippa and his sister Bernice, but Governor Festus. He has spent the last two years under house arrest, really in protective custody, waiting for his trial to be completed. There's a new governor now, and his case has been heard, and he has appealed to Caesar. And so we read in the book of Acts... In chapter 25 and in verse 23, so you can turn there with me if you haven't already, to Acts chapter 25, verse 23, we see that now Governor Festus summons Paul to speak with King Agrippa II. Now King Agrippa II and Bernice arrive, and they arrive with pomp and circumstance, we see in verse 23 of Acts 25. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered The audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. And at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome but I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write, for I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Makes sense. Paul had had several hearings. I'll call them hearings more than even trials, although he had a few of those as well. But These hearings have led him to a place where there are no formal charges, and yet Paul is still in custody, and now he's in custody because he has made his appeal to Caesar. And the appeal would be a way of saying, I I really want justice here because I was taken into custody, I was arrested on false charges, and threatened, my life was threatened, People want me dead, and yet I've done nothing wrong, and I want the opportunity to set the record straight. Now, sometimes in our judicial system, a case will be dropped. There'll be a mistrial, or, or a case will just simply be put aside and, and dismissed. That's not what Paul wants. If he had wanted that, he could have had it. He wants his day in court. He wants the opportunities that being tried for being a Christian bring to share the gospel. And it's why he was still in protective custody two years later. Plus, the Lord has made it clear he's exactly where the Lord wants him to be. Not a a comfortable situation, and yet a safe situation, for his life was in jeopardy. His life was being threatened by the Jews on a continual basis. They wanted to move back to Jerusalem so they could kill him. So it's in Paul's best interest to stay exactly where God has called him to be, though Paul is not experiencing the kind of freedom that he's accustomed to. He is placed in a cage. However, this man knows that one day soon, very soon, he's going to be on his way to the very place that God has called him to be. So he's waiting patiently for the opportunity to go to Rome. So that sets us up this morning for chapter 26. And without getting into all the ugly, sinful lifestyle that King Agrippa and Bernice lived—they they had a horrible relationship, a terrible relationship, it was an incestuous relationship as brother and sister. These people were awful and wicked. And without getting into all of that again, as we talked about it last week. Let's look at the account. Let's look at what happens when Paul is finally given the opportunity that he's waited for to speak to not only King Agrippa and Bernice, all the high-ranking officials, Governor Festus, anyone who's anyone, the who's who of Caesarea in Judea. And he is now about to speak, for we see and we read, and let's read the whole section, verses 1 through 23. We read, then in verse 1 of chapter 26, Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. And so Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. And they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. Oh, King, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Amen? I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them many a time. I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O King, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, Who are you, Lord? And I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet, I have appeared to you, to appoint you as a servant and a witness, and as a witness, of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you. From your own people and from the Gentiles, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and and to the Gentiles also I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That is, that the Christ would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people, And to the Gentiles. There it is in Paul's own words. The gospel preached to this whole gathering and his testimony and the truth of what God had done, was doing, and would do through his life. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, he shared it. Paul was the kind of person that had no problem saying what needed to be said. Now, this is the problem, though, in that world at that time. If, if you spoke boldly like that, eventually people, well, their their passions were inflamed and they decided the easiest way to shut you up was to kill you. The easiest way to, to deal with you is to have you assassinated or, 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 or put aside or, or imprisoned or sent away. And that's what many peoples desired for Paul to experience, Jews and Gentiles alike. And so Paul finds himself in this situation, speaking to a shamelessly wicked king about his life as a Pharisee and, and his conversion to Christ. Paul didn't say, this man's too wicked for me to share the truth with him. These people are so wicked, I don't even want to waste my time. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked at someone and said, this person is just so wicked, why would I even want them to get saved? Oh, I know, it's only me that says things like that out loud. But if you're honest with yourself, there are people you've met and people you've, you've come in contact with that you think to yourself, boy, I've never met a sinner more deserving of hell. And yet, that's usually when you're looking in the mirror at yourself. That you realize you are that man, you are that woman, you are that person so deserving of hell. And yet, God's grace has come into our hearts And we're set free because of his love, his grace, and his mercy toward us. Amen? So why shouldn't Paul share the good news of the gospel with these filthy sinners? When he himself is sharing the truth that he was such a sinner, a wicked man, perhaps more wicked in his past than many of the people gathered there. Have you ever heard a pastor or a minister or or a ministry leader speak and they share their testimony? And as you're looking at him or her, you're thinking to yourself, what in the world happened in that person's life? They were a murderer. They were a killer. They were a, 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 a awful, an awful person. And now here they are in our church getting up on a Sunday morning sharing their testimony and, and you almost can't believe it's the same person. I've heard several people speak. I don't have that kind of testimony, to be honest. But I have heard testimonies of individuals where at, at a certain point, They're sharing their testimony. I'm learning things about them that I didn't know. And I think, oh my goodness, I had that person over my house. They were in my car. I was alone with them. They could have killed me. And you think to yourself, oh, thank goodness they're a new creation. That's the transformative power of the grace of God. That it can turn a filthy sinner into a righteous saint. That only happens when you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. Forgiven of your sins, you can repent and change and show the world what's happened on the inside. That's what Paul is suggesting. That each and every one of them and all of us can do. But if you're ever going to be set free from that cage, you have to take the first step. The truth is, in Christ, those bars have already been taken away. You are no longer in that rail car because freedom is available in Jesus Christ. You're now in an open enclosure, but you continue to walk back and forth 15 feet. Why? because you haven't surrendered your heart to him. What a sad thing it would be for the rest of your life for you to stay in a self-imposed cage when you've been given all the freedom that you could possibly experience in him. But see, the choice is yours. You have to choose to walk outside those boundaries that you've made for yourself, that you've allowed sin in your heart to so cripple you that you don't even realize you can be set free. Some Christians are set free, and they continue to live in that way, as if they aren't set free. And that's even sadder, like that circus bear. They just go back and forth within the same small boundary, never experiencing the fullness of God's love and the riches that are available in Christ. Well, I love the fact that Paul was so wicked in his past that when he looked at a filthy sinner, he thought, he's not even as bad as I was. I'm going to share the gospel. And Paul always was faithful to do so. He was given this opportunity, and he began by recognizing King Agrippa's authority and his ability to properly judge the case. He he recognized this was a great opportunity not only to share the gospel, but an opportunity to get the the appropriate uh, response and decision in this Roman court. King Agrippa was more than capable of issuing an appropriate decision on Paul's behalf. So he explained, look, I was raised as a Pharisee, he said. He he was a Hebraic Jew, raised in the Grecian city of Tarsus, brought up in Jerusalem. So he experienced the Greek culture and the Hebrew culture, thoroughly trained in the law. Under Gamaliel, beginning at the age of 14, he was a rabbi of rabbis, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and a very wicked man in his youth. He declared that he was being accused by the Jews for his hope in God's promised Messiah. Now, that may not have come out to you, but the language in that text made it clear when he was talking about the hope to the 12 tribes, he's talking about the hope in the Jewish Messiah, and the Messiah and the concept of the coming Christ, Christ in Greek, Hebrew would be Messiah, is not unfamiliar to King Agrippa. He's well acquainted, as Paul's made it clear, well acquainted with these things and the promises within the prophets. For whatever reason, King Agrippa had a fascination with the Jewish scriptures. Though he himself not a Jew, he was sort of around a lot of Jews, and he may have had some Jewish blood, but he was definitely not a practicing Jew in the same way that Paul and others were. So, with a curiosity of spiritual things, God had promised Paul and the ancestors of all the Jewish people that he would send a deliverer, and that piqued the interest of Agrippa. God had promised also, and if you read the scriptures, the Old Testament, you'll see God had promised also to raise Messiah from the dead. In fact, this coming uh, Resurrection Sunday next month, this, this coming celebration Uh, We are going to look in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the sign of Jonah. And we're going to examine how the scriptures in the Old Covenant predicted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here. That was a promise that God had made, not only that he would send a deliverer, but if you read Isaiah, if you read the prophets, you'll know that that Messiah would come, yes, but he would die. He would suffer And he would be raised from the dead. And Paul is saying, all I'm doing is talking about the things and sharing the truth of God's word with Jews and Gentiles alike. That's all I'm doing, and I believe those things. And he questioned why anyone would doubt that God has the ability to raise the dead. Now, if there's anyone here who believes they can raise the dead, that's wonderful. Okay, good. I'm glad you feel that way about yourself. But that's not even what we're talking about. And maybe you do have the faith because God has worked through men and women to do things of that nature. But if, at best, you were to stand up and say, this person is, has expired, I'm going to pray for them, that they, they get back up again and we'll pray that life would be breathed back into them, at best, you could bring that person, or God could use you to bring that person back to life. I believe that could happen only to have that person grow old and die. Because it's about the best we can do, even with the power of the Spirit working in us, you're not going to be able to do what only God can do, that is, resurrect the dead. A little different than bringing someone back to life. See, Jesus Christ rose again, never to die again, can I hear an amen? He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that means something different than he just died and then came back to life. And that's what we'll be talking about in a few weeks. But we'll also be talking a little bit more about it today. So this is the truth that we know. If you believe there is a God, do you believe there is a God? Say amen. Amen. And if you believe that God can do anything, say amen. Amen. And if you believe God created the universe, say amen. Amen. Then why would it be a difficult thing for God to raise the dead? Or, Or even more properly, resurrect the Christ to live and never die again in a resurrected body, which is the promise that each and every one of us have in Christ. Amen? When we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That means we as well will have bodies, resurrected bodies, for all eternity. So I'm looking forward to that. Some of you guys have been dealing with health problems and issues and injuries, and you know what? Those things will not happen in the new Jerusalem. Those things will not be a factor in eternity. And I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, one of the things that Paul wanted to explain here is that he was once the persecutor of the Lord's disciples in Jerusalem. He was the bad guy. You know, in the old spaghetti westerns, it was really easy to figure out who the bad guy was. He always wore what? A black hat. Exactly. And who was the good guy? The guy who wore a white hat. It's very easy to see that Paul was a villain, He was a bad guy, and I love the fact that he had no problem making that clear. He had he had become the defender of Judaism and the destroyer of the church. He tells King Agrippa and all those gathered that he had approved of the crowd's decision to stone Stephen to death. He had broken into homes and imprisoned Jews that had become Christians. He had approved of having the disciples of Jesus put to death. He raided synagogues to punish these disciples and force them to deny Jesus Christ. He was, as he says here, obsessed with persecuting the early church in Jerusalem and even foreign cities. And, And this I didn't know until I read this passage. We often think of Paul, he went to Damascus. That was like his first opportunity to go to a foreign city and arrest people. He says here he had gone to foreign cities and on one such journey. So that tells us there were other places that Paul had gone outside of Jerusalem. There were other people that he had persecuted. I want to speculate a little. I imagine many of the cities where Paul actually went to minister were cities like Damascus and Jerusalem where Paul had imprisoned people and even had people put to death. So imagine Paul shows up to do an evangelistic outreach. Would you show up? So here's the thing. He's obsessed. He was obsessed. And he acted with the full authority of the very chief priests that were now accusing him. He was confronted, though. And he shares this now. This is the third time in the book of Acts that we have Paul's testimony. We have the testimony recorded earlier on. I believe it was in Acts chapter 8 or 9. Uh, and then we had, uh, I guess back in chapter 22, when he's speaking to uh, Antonius Felix, there, there, there's opportunities for Paul to share with the Jews. He's sharing with, with others. Here now we get the final uh, account, and a few things are shared that we haven't seen before. We'll cover those. Uh, here is explaining these things that he was confronted by the Lord Jesus as he traveled to Damascus. Again, not his first trip out of Jerusalem to do these things. He had obtained these letters from the high priest in order to arrest Christians. And he was looking to arrest Jewish disciples of Jesus and bring them to Jerusalem where they could be tried and possibly executed. Now, the Romans put people to death through crucifixion or beheading if you were a Roman citizen. The Jews didn't have the right to put anyone to death. So they would orchestrate these mob incidents. You might even, if you were around today, call them peaceful protests where people would gather, and in the heat of the moment, they would throw rocks at someone until they were dead. The Romans didn't approve of this, but by the time they showed up, all they really could do is take the body away. That's what they did to Stephen. That's exactly what they did to Stephen. They didn't dare try to do that to Jesus because the crowds were with him. They tried to do that to Paul. And so, as Paul is on his way... To bring these Jewish believers to Jerusalem, he sees a light from heaven. It says it flashed around him as he came near the city. And he and his companions saw a light about noon, they said, that was brighter than the sun. So this is an incredibly bright light. The light was blazing around them all. Only Saul saw the risen Lord. Now Saul was Paul's name before he became a Christian. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. And if you were Saul of Tarsus, you would change your name to Paul as well. But here's the truth. He saw the risen Lord, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8. No one else did. They saw the light, but not the risen Lord. God is able to do that. He's able to appear to groups of people or have everyone experience something. And yet, only Paul saw the risen Lord. The others, they knew something was going on, but they didn't see the Lord. Well, he did hear a voice from heaven. And the voice asked him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, can you imagine how Paul responded in a bewildered way, trying to figure out, Lord, who are you? What are you talking about? I'm on your side. I'm persecuting them in your name. But he needed a correction in his theology. Oh, yes, this bright light came. It caused him and his companions to fall to the ground. And then a voice spoke to him in Aramaic. In his native tongue. You know, it's amazing. God will always speak to you in exactly the way that you need to hear something. Have you noticed that? So let's say you're crazy like me and you like listening to, ah. Oh, let's just say some rock music. Let, let's just say that you happen to like modern music or maybe you even like music from the 80s. I mean, maybe I'm guilty of that. And you know, you're in your car and you're driving and you're not the least bit spiritual at this moment you're just kind of enjoying the beautiful day and you're listening to your music and all of a sudden you listen to a tune that you listened to back when you were a kid and maybe there's just a line in that song that just speaks to you has that ever happened to you is that blasphemy to say that god could speak you through all things i mean he spoke through a donkey speaking through me kind of the same thing and right now you're thinking oh boy i'm glad pastor tim doesn't preach from the king james So, you hear this line, and for a minute you think, what? That's the answer to the prayer I was just praying. How could God speak through the Cars? The Cars being that band in the 80s called The Cars. For you guys who were younger, Cars, that was the name of a band. Why would anyone name a band called The Cars? And I'm thinking, wow. And then my mind and my heart go towards God and his word. All that was was a trigger. It's not the word of God, but God can speak through all things. And suddenly now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, and then a scripture comes to mind, and then God begins to talk to me and speak to my heart, and I'm hearing from God. And, and now I was not the least bit spiritual, but now my heart is for God, and I'm hearing from God. It has nothing to do with the song from the 80s. Has that ever happened to anyone Can you you say amen so I don't feel like a fool? Thank you. Weird things like that will happen or you're watching a television show or you go to see a movie or you're reading a book or even watching the news. and, and, And all of a sudden, God brings you to a place where he speaks to you. And I'm not saying God speaks through those things necessarily, but he brings us to a place where he speaks to us through those things sometimes. Circumstances. He uses them. And it's amazing because... You wouldn't think God would speak that way, but God speaks to you in your native tongue. Paul spoke Aramaic. He spoke in Aramaic. What's what's your language? You know, we read a lot about these love languages. We read a lot about the way people receive information or even receive love. We think to ourselves, well, God doesn't bother with any of that, right? I mean, God just speaks to everybody the same way. Not so. Paul needed something else. And in this account, the only place we find this out... Not only did the Lord say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The voice that he heard said it was hard for him to kick against the goads. Now, first of all, you need to know what that is, because if you're like me, you don't use that word. Goads were sharp objects that prevented oxen from kicking against the plow. About the only thing I can think of that would be in my world would be when we were in New York City, if you had an air conditioner outside the church window, you had to have those little pigeon spikes. You know what I'm talking about? You guys who've ever lived in a city with pigeons, you know you have to have these pigeon spikes on the air conditioner. Otherwise, you're going to end up breeding pigeons whether you want to or not. The goads were sharp objects that prevented the oxen from kicking against the plow because they didn't want to pull the plow. So they would kick against it. You see, what God is saying to Paul in a language that he can understand, in language that he really can receive, that you and I would be like, what? No, for Paul, this made sense. He was fighting against his own conscience. He was fighting against the truth of God after Stephen's death. He was never the same after that. And the man knew deep down inside, in his conscience, he knew somewhere within him that he was off. That while he could tell himself he was doing the right thing, he clearly wasn't. So what does he do? He asked, who who are you, Lord? Called him Lord. Had no idea who was speaking with him. Jesus identified himself and made it clear to Saul that he was actually persecuting him. And everything changed after that. Jesus commanded him to get up and go into Damascus, wait for further instructions, which he did, and we've covered this before. There, he was appointed to be a servant and a witness of Jesus Christ. He had been chosen and he had been called. Let's talk about the things he was chosen to do. He was chosen to know God's will and to see Jesus, the righteous one. Chosen to hear the words of Jesus from his own mouth. Chosen to bear witness to all men of what he had seen and heard. Chosen to carry the name of Jesus before Gentiles and their kings. Chosen, chosen to carry the name of Jesus before the people of Israel. Chosen to suffer for the name of Jesus. He was chosen Chosen indeed. And he would be rescued by Jesus, as he had been, from the Jews and from the Gentiles, as he testified before them. And the example of him being in custody for two years just proves that point. He had been called as well. Not just chosen, but called. What what had he been called to do? Well, he had been called to open their eyes. To enlighten them with the truth of the gospel. Called to turn them from darkness to the light of the truth. Called to deliver them from the power of Satan to God. We forget that people who are in darkness are actually under the power of Satan, which explains so much about Congress today. See, when I watch them, I say, these people are acting like demons. And then I think to myself, oh, that makes sense. Why? Because they're not serving God. In fact, they're serving Satan. Have I just called the United States Congress demon-possessed? Not all of them, just almost all of them. You have to be to think and do some of the things they think and do. Come on. We're not even going to get to the White House. So as far as I'm concerned, when I look at things in this way, when I understand that you're either under the power of darkness or light, if you're under the power of of light, then you, you belong to God. If you're under the power of darkness, you belong to Satan. Then everything in this world makes perfect sense to me now. Why are we so surprised when these evil things and agendas come out of the mouth of those that belong to Satan? You really shouldn't be shocked. Well, he had been called... To deliver them from the power of Satan to God. Have you been delivered from the power of Satan to God? Say amen. He had been called to preach forgiveness of sins and salvation by faith in Jesus. And that is what he did. And so, as he explained that in this experience he had obeyed the Lord's call for him to testify before Jews and Gentiles, this begins to explain to this Roman court why he got into trouble. So he's actually explaining how he got there. He began to preach in the synagogues in Damascus that Jesus was the Son of God. And he returned to Jerusalem, as we know, about three years after he was converted. He began to preach boldly in the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. Returned to Tarsus and Cilicia after he was rejected by the Jews in Jerusalem. And then he later began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Judea and even among the Gentiles. And he says, this is, I've been doing this now for, for, for decades, he might say. He preached that they should repent of their sins and turn to God. And that is the gospel. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Get out of that cage. Get out of that cage. He preached that they should prove their repentance. How do you prove your repentance? By your righteous deeds. Now, it's important that you understand that. That you and I, that we understand what it means to repent. And if we look in uh, verses, let's see. Verses uh, 19 through 20 in this section that we've read already. He says this in verse 19, or in verse 20. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. There you have it. The, the, The most significant thing that I can tell you this morning about what repentance is and what it isn't is that you repent, you turn to God, and you prove... That you have repented by the things you do. And even by the things you no longer do. But you see how the things you do and the things you no longer do, that's not repentance. Repentance is proven through the things you do and the things you no longer do. It's proven. But repentance isn't an action. It's an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart. And that's so important. Well, let's continue. Here he declared to them, he was persecuted by the Jews for his obedience to the Lord. His call upon his life. God called him. God chose him. And and now he's just doing what God told him to do. And that's why he's being persecuted. He'd been seized in the temple courts. They tried to kill him. He declared that God had been faithful to help him despite their persecution of him which was true. And and he was there at that very moment, testifying before Gentiles, small and great alike, because God had given him that platform. Where has God called you to go? What has God called you to do? What have you been chosen to do? Who have you been chosen to be? See, Paul was only testifying to the truth of the scriptures concerning the coming Messiah. This wasn't Paul's idea. This was God's word. As I've said already, Messiah was prophesied to suffer and be put to death, only to be raised from the dead. And a risen Messiah, we're told, would proclaim the light of the truth to both Jews and Gentiles. And that is what Paul was busy about. Now, how did they react to this? You can imagine this was an awkward moment, right? Governor Festus has just taken over as governor. And this is an awkward moment. He's brought this king in. He's brought these people in. Here's Paul talking about the gospel and repentance. So Festus says in verse 24, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted. Notice he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, what I am saying is true. And it's not only true, though. It's reasonable. It's true and reasonable. Now that, that's really interesting because Festus was obviously uncomfortable with Paul's spiritual appeal. He chose to resist the Holy Spirit. He dismissed Paul as insane. Has anyone ever done that for, with you? You're crazy! He actually believed, and Paul was a well-known intellect, he believed that Paul's intellect and his knowledge had caused him to suffer from mental illness. Really, really smart people are often confused with crazy people. I'm sure it's not politically correct to use that word, but every week there's another word I can't use. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be 57 next month, and I'm gonna use whatever word I want. It's gonna tell you right now, you don't like it? Deal with it. So Crazy. It's good enough for Patsy Klein It's good for me. So crazy. Crazy? Yeah, they thought he was crazy. Or at least this man wanted to believe he was crazy. Because if he was reasonable, then Festus, well, Festus needed to consider the opportunity that was before him. Paul respectfully assured this governor he was not insane. And he insisted that the gospel was in fact true. And he, consist, he insisted that it was completely reasonable to believe the truth of the gospel. Is it reasonable? Say amen. Amen. Wow, then. Paul did what only Paul could do. You ever hear that word? I think it's a Yiddish word, chutzpah. Paul had it. Read verses uh, with me, verse 26 through 29, we'll read. It says, the king is familiar with these things, Paul goes on to say, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. That's bold. That's what you call bold, by the way. So here Paul challenges him to believe the truth of the gospel. To become a Christian. Chutzpah. He knew the king was familiar with the Jewish scriptures, the life of Jesus, even the gospel. And he discerned that the king did believe the scriptures and asked him outright if that was true. He's stepping way over the line here. At least by Roman standards. Well, maybe the king scoffed at Paul's attempt to persuade him to become a Christian, but what King Agrippa was just handed was the key to get out of that cage that he had lived in his whole life. And he apparently chose to stay in that place like a circus bear, going 15 feet this way and back all the way. I hope that doesn't describe you this morning. But it described him at that time. He had an opportunity to repent and receive Christ. He could have found peace with God. He could have found forgiveness for his sins. He could have found freedom and deliverance from his sinful lifestyle. He could have found eternal purpose in a a wayward world of ambition and vanity, but instead he stayed safely in his cage. Then Governor Festus, King Agrippa, and Bernice, they left after Paul had shared his faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 30. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them, they left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, this man isn't doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. That's interesting, because this man could have been set free, Agrippa says. This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. King Agrippa, king Agrippa could have been set free if he had appealed to God. Oh, brothers and sisters, the king was obviously uncomfortable with Paul's spiritual appeal. And as a respected leader in his community, he could have led by example and influenced others, but he chose not to. Instead, those who were spiritually blind around him continued to live in darkness because he refused to acknowledge the light. Those that had listened to Paul speak did not find him guilty of any capital offense against Rome, and so the king had concluded that Paul was innocent and should have been set free. However... Paul's appeal to Caesar prevented him from being released until he had appeared in Rome. So to Rome he will go. And we'll see that next week. Brothers and sisters, as we close, the gospel of Jesus Christ presents all of us with an opportunity to be set free. Paul could have been set free, that is from his chains, if only he had not appealed to Caesar. But you see, he was willing to sacrifice his own personal freedom in order to preach the gospel to those that needed to hear it. He appealed. And his appeal enabled him to follow the Lord's call, to travel to Rome at their expense. Oh, King Agrippa, he could have been set free if only he had appealed to God in Jesus Christ. But see, he was unwilling to repent He was unwilling to respond to the gospel. His refusal to become a Christian ultimately sentenced him to eternal judgment, eternal death. Will you be set free? Or will you, like that bear, continue to stay in your cage till the day you die? Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we simply ask right now for every heart hearing this message, whether here or later on on a recording that each and every person who hasn't already been set free would be set free. The truth of the gospel is that all we need to do is cry out to you, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, set free. If the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And Lord, if there's any like King Agrippa here today, or listening online that would recognize that they've lived their whole life in a cage, And though they have the opportunity to leave that cage, they chose to stay in there and they choose to stay in there. But today's the day of their freedom. Today's the day that we can experience freedom, but only in Christ, only through salvation, only because of the cross, Jesus' death on, on the cross for our sins and his resurrection on the third day. With his promise to come again, we cry out to you, Lord. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But not too quickly, Lord. Because we want to see those that we're praying for, like the King Agrippa's in our life, come to you, come to freedom in Christ, be set free indeed. Lord, this is our heart's desire, and may every heart here that feels like they're still in that cage be set free at this moment through the name and the blood of Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.